You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Welcome back to another edition of Funky Monkey MMA. My name is Kane Miller. On today's show, we'll be continuing where the last show left off. We're breaking down UFC 214. We already broke down the prelims, and this episode will be focused entirely on the main card. There are some huge fights on this card, some of the biggest fights of the year. Can't wait to get into it, uh, and I'll be and I'm joined by Matt Webb, who's going to be helping me break down these fights. Uh, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Kane. Can't wait. All right, yeah, we have a huge, huge pay per view in front of us. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, kicking off the main card, we have a light heavyweight matchup between Jimmy Manuwa and Volkan Uzdemir. This is a really, uh, I think this will be, this will be a good fight to kick off the main card with. So. Jimmy Manawa, he's had some good experience lately. He's coming off of two uh, really big knockout wins over Corey Anderson and Ovin St. Preux. Uh, Manawa has very good kickboxing. Uh, he His wrestling has always been a weak point for him. We saw that in the Anthony Johnson fight. And he's also had a little bit of cardio issues in the past, mainly with his grappling. But when it comes to his technical striking, Manawa is one of the best in the division. Very good combinations, quick, quick strikes, especially with his kicks. He moves very fast for a man his size, and he's very good, and he has obviously a lot of power in his strikes as well. And I'll be facing Volkan Uzdemir, who he's only 27, and he jumped on to the UFC uh, with a lot of big wins here. So he he won his debut with the decision over Ovin St. Preux, which that's a big win in, in your in your UFC career, you know, find someone who faced John Jones for, for the interim title. And then in his last fight, Volkan picked up a huge upset win over Misha Serkinov in only 28 seconds by knockout. And Serkinov was thought of to be one of the best prospects at 205. And Volkan just knocked him out in less than 30 seconds. And it was a crazy punch, too. I mean, Volkan, he was, like, backing up, and he just, like, he kind of threw this really short, short hook punch that caught Serkinov uh, right in the temple and just put him out immediately. It was crazy. Like, he barely winded up, but it just put Serkinov out cold. It was, like, crazy power behind it. So it was super impressive from Volkan. Um, both guys wanted this fight. I believe Volkan specifically wanted this fight. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they match up together. On the feet, it'll be very close. Manoa has good kickboxing, like I said. He'll definitely have the speed advantage. But... I think that I think that uh, Uzdemir will have the offensive advantage uh, in terms of his output because he has good power uh, and he's very good with his forward pressure. He pushes the pace very well, strings together a lot of combinations. But with that aggressiveness, that does leave his chin exposed and his striking defense 
uh, leaves a lot to be desired. And I think that, that could definitely come into play here. I think that if this fight stays on the feet, it'll be really, really interesting. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good matchup. Uh, Matt, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This fight between Volkan and Jimmy Manawa, man, light heavyweight is, whew, it's hurting yeah. right now. It is hurting. Yeah, 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 First, it is. I mean, they, these guys are both, which they're both skilled, especially in the stand-up realm. But, man, that, it's crazy to me that Vulcan be Ovin Sepru, his first fight, and he was top five after that. Goes on to face Misha Serkinov, and then Misha, you know, blitzed in, got Vulcan against the cage, and Vulcan landed that short hook, like you were saying, in the on the button of all buttons, which is, Right behind the ear in the back of the head, and it shut mm-hmm. um, shut Misha Serkinov off. There's not yeah. a lot for me to take from that. You know that mm-hmm. you know it was an accurate punch. It was a good punch. Is I mean he did backing up, which is always impressive. And then his fight with Event uh, Sepru. I thought Event Sepru won that fight. Now, initially upon watching it, I thought Event Sepru got the nod for the decision, and Volkan took away the decision, which is fine, which is how he got ranked at number five. And then on the flip side, Jimmy Manoa, who is, you know, he's a good stand-up fighter. He's uh, relentless with his combinations. He's good with his hands. He's got good power for light heavyweight. And he's a technical boxer, technical kickboxer. He's very, just all-around stand-up-wise, he's elite. But Mm -hmm. as far as his overall game, he's not. He's not. And... It just shows where the division's at that both these guys are top five right now because if they face the uh, the other fighters in the top five, which are John Jones, Daniel Cormier, or Alexander Gustafson, they get destroyed. No doubt mm-hmm. in my mind. If Volcan fights any of those three, he loses. And if um, Jimmy does, he loses. He's already lost to... Alexander Gustafson, and they both best be glad that Anthony Johnson isn't in there because that would knock them out of the top five. And also Glover Teixeira, I think he could beat both of them too. So besides that, saying how I don't think they should be in the top five, it just shows where the division's at. But the fight itself, I think it's going to be a stand-up war, mainly on the feet. Like you said, Volcan's a little more measured, and he's a, he throws more combinations. He's 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 a lot stronger than he looks, and he's a lot more physical than he looks. But then the sharp and the technique and the tenacity all goes to Jimmy Manuel. The shot he hit Corey Anderson with, just crashing to the canvas, just shut Corey Anderson off. And then the shot he uh, faced against Avince Pru, the combination against the fence that shut Avince Pru in a brutal knockout. Manuel has power, and Manuel has the technique that I don't think Vulcan has. The Vulcan's very good and Vulcan has made it this far, seeming to fumble his way to these victories somehow. I still am gonna go with Manoa. I think Manoa gets it done by round two knockout. Such a strange fight. It'll be an exciting fight. I enjoy the fight. I can't wait for the fight. But this is not a fight between the winner out of these two will get a title shot. The winner out of these two will be behind Gustafson and the winner and realistically, if Rumble comes back, he could jump in line. And the actual top five competitors in this weight class are over in Bellator named Phil Davis and Ryan Bader. So the fight itself is going to be entertaining, but as far as 
substance is a quote-unquote top five fight. It's not, just being honest. Yeah, I, I agree with that because it kind of shows where the division is at right now where Jimmy Manoa, I mean, he, he he's he, he's writing back-to-back wins. He's on a two-fight winning streak, which is over the course of, uh, I mean, that was back in, his last one was in March. The other one was all the way back in October. Um, and with just those two wins, he they elevated him to, like, contender status, you know? And, I mean, they were impressive wins, but, like, I don't think that, like, that that would... I mean, in lightweight division, like, that wouldn't be enough to warrant a, a title shot or anything, you know? It, that featherweight, it wouldn't... Uh, welterweight, it wouldn't... Yeah, light heavyweight is just very, it's a thin division right now, and so it's open. Guys can just kind of put together just a few wins, and then they're already in the picture. Um, It's the weakest, sorry for interrupting, but it's the weakest uh division. It's It's the weakest division in the UFC right now, and it's the most weak it's been since before when it, since when Tito Ortiz was, uh, Ortiz was champion way back when fighting guys like Ken Shamrock. It's as yeah. weak, you know, maybe not the the stature of the fighters back then because you can't compare them because the average now or the elite back then. But as far as, you know, weakness of the division goes, it's as weak as it was years ago when T. Ortiz was rolling over it. And usually like heavyweight is the money division. It's just not anymore. Yeah. The division is being held by John Jones and that's it, really. It's just it's it's sad where it's went, honestly. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like you said, light heavyweight used to be like one of the most talented divisions. I mean, obviously, years ago when you had guys like Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz and Rampage and Rashad Evans and Forrest Griffin and Shogun and Machida and all, like man, it was like it used to be such a talented division, but it's just thinned out so much over the years. You know, um, and this fight, I think, is kind of a testament to that. Again, I like the matchup. I think it'll be fun. But, yeah, I mean, the both guys are, uh, I mean, Vulcan is only 2-0 in the UFC. Manoa's coming off of just two wins. And his losses to Alexander Gustafson and Anthony Johnson, where he was knocked out in both of those fights, I think that shows that he's good, but he's not going to be an elite contender, I don't think. You know, his grappling, I think, is still a weak point. And Vulcan, I think it's just he's not, he hasn't been overly tested yet. Um, yeah, I, I'm picking Manoa by, by knockout in the second round. The main deciding factor is that while Vulcan has more, uh, a higher level of output, whereas Manoa has to kind of pick his shots, like I said before, Vulcan, he really rushes forward. And he oftentimes leaves his chin exposed. His striking defense isn't that great. Uh, he ate a lot of big shots against St. Prue. And I, you really can't do that against Manoa. If you try to do that, you're going to get knocked out. And I think that that's what's going to happen. I think it, uh, Volkan might, his pressure might win him the first round. But eventually, I think he's just going to leave his chin out there when he's rushing in. And he's going to allow Manoa to counter him and, I think, finish him. So, yeah, I'm going with Jimmy Manoa via knockout in the second round. All right. I have a, I have, with... I have a question about the fight real quick, Dane. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, no, you're good. Okay. So, you know, this is a quote-unquote top five fight. Who do you have winning if, you know, because I think Phil Davis and Ryan Bader 
Phil Davis could be both of these guys, and Ryan Bader could be both of these guys. Who do you think? Like, do you agree? I, I agree with that. I mean, I was really disappointed when Ryan Bader went over to Bellator, honestly, because I'd like, like, I was a big Bader fan. Like, I always liked watching him fight. You know, he always seemed like a really good guy, and I think he put on really good performances. Um, and, and he was really close to a title shot at one point before he came up short against Anthony Johnson, but he's still really good, and he was improving a lot. Yeah, I I think that he would beat either of them. I mean, um, against Manawa, I mean, he would just take Manawa down and ground and pound him, you know. Um, like like he he would just win that fight with his wrestling similar to, similar to what Anthony Johnson did, and I think yeah he'd be too athletic for for Volcan as well. Um, I think that Volcan's not technical enough on the feet for Bader. I think that uh, Bader would have the more technical shots, and then also yeah just mix in his uh, his his wrestling and grind him out. Phil Davis same thing. You know he's an elite wrestler. Um, his he doesn't carry the same amount of power as Ryan Bader. But he is fairly technical with his kickboxing. But for both of them, I mean, uh, Phil Davis would just wrestle him down to the ground and and get the decision win. Like, yeah, I would pick Bader and Davis to beat both of them, honestly. Um, and that was just me asking, uh, like, being curious. This, they, the UFC messed up by not bidding on them too, by not taking, especially yeah. Bader, especially Bader, because I think Bader is in his prime right now. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I agree. Ca- kind of a late prime but i just man i, I was just curious just had to ask and i think most people yeah, would agree yeah yeah definitely yeah I, I was disappointed when when data went over to Bellator because i think that he's an elite like heavyweight and i think that he could have fought for the title before too long he was close to fighting cormier after cormier uh won the belt but you know it, it is what it is um yeah, yeah, it's, it, it just kind of, again, it says where the light heavyweight division is at right now. All right, we will move on uh, to our next fight uh, in the welterweight division. We have a fantastic, fantastic matchup between Robbie Lawler and Donald Cerrone. Uh, this fight has been in the works for quite a long time. First it was going to happen, then it unfortunately uh, Lawler had to pull out. Then there were look, it was looking like this. the fight on this card might not even happen because it was pushed back again. Um, but we're finally getting it right now. Uh, former champion Robbie Lawler and fan favorite Donald Cerrone. So Robbie Lawler, I mean, there's not much left you can really say about him. I, I think I think that his, his second run in the UFC really speaks for itself. Big power. He loves to brawl. He loves uh, just to get in wars with with his opponents that's what has garnered him so much attention over the years um and yeah he's beaten just some of the some of the best guys at 170 i mean obviously he beat johnny Hendricks to get the belt he beat rory mcdonald he won a very i, I don't know I, I thought it was a controversial decision over carlos condit but nonetheless i mean he had a he had a war against carlos condit um and on top of that he's beaten guys like matt brown and jake ellenberger and He's just had a great second wind in the UFC. Um, one thing that does concern me about Lawler is that he's no longer at American Top Team. He has not fought since his loss to Tyron Woodley in his last fight where he suffered a first-round knockout. That was all the way back in July of 2016, about a year ago. Um, and he's had a long career. You know, He's had over 30 fights. Uh, and I think that it is possible that the Tyrone Woodley loss might be a sign 
that he his career might be catching up to him, unfortunately. Um, on the other hand, we have Donald Cerrone, who, I mean, everyone kind of knows what to expect out of Cerrone. He has great kickboxing, great jiu-jitsu. He had looked great at 170, but he is coming off of a tough uh, knockout loss uh, against uh, Jorge Masvidal. Now, that was a rough fight, and I think that that also, it makes this fight even closer because I don't know where Cerrone is at. He's kind of in the same field as Lawler. He has a lot of fights, a lot of fights under his belt, and he's coming off of a very rough knockout loss. That was in Denver, of all places. You know, he was in front of his home crowd. I don't know how he's going to bounce back from this. And I don't know how Lawler is going to bounce back from losing his title. So it's a great fight, but there are definitely a lot of question marks around it, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the fact that Cerrone is even fighting, and when the fight was originally booked for the pay-per-view prior at UFC 213, they had to pull out. I don't know why they're letting the fight happen. If he's, I, if he was so, if he was, here, go ahead. No, yeah, yeah, I agree. Because they thought that it originally wasn't going to happen at this uh, on this card. Because they said, "Oh no, yeah, it is. It is going to happen." So, yeah, it makes me wonder if if Cerrone's like still injured. If he has something coming into this fight, I I don't know. And he's a warrior, and he'll fight through anything. But the fact that I think it was a pulled groin and a staph infection. Okay, three weeks will help with the healing, but three weeks is not going to be enough in my opinion especially when you're yeah. fighting Robbie Lawler of all people mm-hmm. I think the yeah. actual stylistically the striking you know I think the biggest part of this fight is that Robbie Lawler is a southpaw and Don Cerrone is orthodox Don Cerrone his main weakness in this fight is body kicks when people you know, throw shots at the body like Anthony Pettis did, like Rafael de Sanchez did. When people hit him in the body, it shakes him up. I'm not sure why, but that is a spot that is just a weakness in Don's, a chink in Don Cerrone's armor. Robbie Lawler could throw a body shot with the best of them, and he throws a hellacious body kick, and he even uses his boxing and will throw a liver shot whenever he so pleases. So the Southpaw Orthodox and the opening for a body kick, I think that's huge in this fight. I think Cerrone doesn't like to fight. Cerrone enjoys fighting people who he can not necessarily bully, but who he can out crazy and who are scared of him, who are daunted by Cerrone. That's what Cerrone likes. Cerrone enjoys fighting guys who he can get them guessing with his leg kicks like he did against Eddie Alvarez, like he did against Patrick Cote he, or Matt Brown or, you know, Miles Jury. He likes guys who are afraid of him because that allows Cerrone to tee off because Cerrone is a confidence fighter. Robbie Lawler is not going to give a shit about what Don Cerrone does. He is not going to care. And Cerrone's losses are to Javier Desanos, who has the same mentality. Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal has that same exact mentality. Jorge Masvidal does not care what you throw at him. He's not scared of you. Cerrone loses to guys who are not scared of him. And if anybody thinks Robbie Lawler is going to be scared, they have lost their damn mind. So you saw you saw this happen when he fought Nate Diaz. When Nate Diaz started talking trash, when Nate Diaz consistently put that pressure on Cerrone, he wilted. Same with Rafael Desanos both times. 
Same with Anthony Pettis. He was scared because Anthony Pettis wasn't scared of him. And Anthony Pettis started turning the tide and teeing off on him. So if Cerrone can't get you afraid of him in the opening goings of the fight and can't get those leg kicks going and can't get the, the timing of the strikes and can't get all the great things he does in the game, which he has an awesome teak kick to the body, he has a great high kick. Him on the bottom on the ground, he can submit you from anywhere. He loves hurting people on the feet and then submitting them when it gets to the ground when they drop. Cerrone's an excellent fighter, and he looks way better at 170. But just the fact that the confidence and the fighting people who aren't scared of him, Robbie Lawler's the perfect matchup for Cerrone because Don Cerrone's a badass. But Robbie Lawler is a badass. And I think Robbie Lawler is going to come in and do the same thing Jorge Masvidal did. And I think Robbie Lawler is actually going to win by TKO in round three against Cerrone. Round three. Okay. Uh, you know what? It's uh, In my notes here, I also have a round three finish, but I'm going with Cerrone in this one. Um, there are a few reasons why I'm picking Cerrone. There, yeah, his his liver's always been, like, like it's like a weak uh, point for him. I don't know, like, it's all that, like, Budweiser he drinks or something, man, but, like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, like the, the, the Anthony Pettis body kick, the body shot from Rafael de Sanchez, but in his last fight, we did see, I mean, he was rocking, like, like he was, at, in his fight with Orkham Masvidal, like, that should have been stopped at the end of the first round, you know? Like, like he was he, he was out there. Like, like Herb Dean should have just stopped that fight. Um, there was no need for it to go into the second. Um, so there are some questions about Cerrone, but there are too many – I think there are too many questions about Lawler heading into this fight for me to make a, a confident pick in him. Um like I said, he has he's left the American Top Team, and I think that ATT was a big reason why he had so much success because he was at a really good camp when he became the champion in his second run in the UFC. So now that he's not with them anymore, I'm a little bit hesitant, and I don't know how he's going to look from this point on. On top of that, uh, he like I said, he hasn't fought in since his since his last fight to Tyron Woodley, which was almost a year ago, and he's just had such a long career. Um, I know that Woodley is no slouch, but Lawler's always had a really good chin, and so to see him just get knocked out in the first round, I don't know. I think it might be an omen that he might be on the decline. Um, I, I guess would this this fight will just it'll answer that question for us. Um, you, you did say uh, that so Cerrone he he circles when guys like uh, aren't afraid of him. What about uh, Matt Brown though? Like like I, like, I don't think Matt Brown was was that afraid of, of Cerrone. That is a good counter-argument to my current argument. And honestly, the, the fact that Robbie Lawler is not an ATT, is, that's a big – that's one of the reasons I don't want to pick Lawler, the, the fact that he left ATT. But, yeah, the Matt Brown fight, I think Matt Brown isn't scared, but Matt Brown was so outclassed is what mm-hmm. I think the difference was. I think that was the yeah. main parameter. Is skill for skill, Cerrone was so much better – that Matt Brown couldn't compete, couldn't have the equalizer of the not being, you know, the not caring attitude, the not being scared, because I think the skill difference was just so great. Even though Matt Brown's Taliton stand up, but Don Cerrone is at the next level, in my opinion. But that is a good counter argument, and I did not think of that. 
Okay, no, 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 that is true. And to your credit, I mean, that fight was, it was pretty, it was competitive. I, I do think that the the stature of Brown did kind of, it did kind of mess with Cerrone a little bit. Because, um, you know, Matt Brown, like, wasn't shaking his hand or anything like that leading up to the fight. But, yeah, I think Cerrone did kind of, he was just more technical, and that's what that's what helped him against the more brawling style of Brown. Um, so regarding this fight, Cerrone, he is sometimes a, a slow starter. He's looked, he, he seems to have fixed that now that he's up to Walter weight, but it's always been kind of a problem with him, so it might come up here. So Lawler might have some success early on, but I do think that Cerrone can pick up some momentum, and I think that he can finish the fight with a knockout in the third round. I think that he can land one of those vicious head kicks, and if not knock him out, rock him and get the fight to the ground and end the fight by submission, which he's done quite a lot in the past. Just, in my opinion, there there are just too many X factors regarding Lawler for me to for me to put a confident pick in him. All right, awesome, yeah. I mean, that'll be interesting. I mean, that's a really interesting fight in the main card. I think it's kind of lost some of its luster on the count of it's been scheduled, yeah. rescheduled, and I'm just kind of ready to see it to get it over with, to be honest with you, but I'm going to yeah. enjoy the hell out of it as it's happening. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, and with that, we will move on to our third fight. It is one of three title fights that we have on this card. So we have have Cyborg taking on Tanya Evinger for the Women's Featherweight Championship. Cyborg will finally get her shot at the gold. Uh, you know, there was originally that fight with Jermaine Durandame and Holly Holm for the first featherweight champion, but then uh, Durandame didn't want to defend the belt for whatever reason, so they just stripped her of it, and they said, all right, forget it. We're just we're going to let Cyborg fight for it. Um, Cyborg was originally supposed to fight Megan Anderson, but she had to pull out, and now she's replaced with Tanya Evinger, and I think that this is an even more interesting matchup, because Evinger is no slouch, and stylistically, it's a more interesting matchup, I think. Um, yeah, Matt, do you want to take this one? It's more interesting in the fact that Tanya Ev- Evinger is very game. She's a very game mm-hmm. fighter. She's going to go in there, she's going to put the pressure on you. She's gonna, If she gets you down to the ground, she can maul you. She's cardio for days, heart for days, all around just a tough, physical, gritty fighter who's on right now. What's her win streak right now? 11-fight win streak. So she's coming in with confidence, and she's going to need it in space mm-hmm. because yeah. The, yeah. the only note, I have a whole list of things from Tanya Avenger as far as analysis goes. The only note I have on Chris Cyborg is it's Chris Cyborg. Explanation yeah. point. Yeah. And there, there's the nothing fact, else to really say. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next fight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're in, we're in agreement here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's like the fact that Avenger is so game, I think that is a very important part of the fight. And I think that is, if it gets pushed into the later rounds, then it could become extremely interesting. If it, it in the third and fourth round, if Avenger is still there, and she, you know, does the thing she does where she, you know, kind of rushes you in, rushes you towards the cage, hooks a leg, gets you down, and gets on top and just molasses, just constantly flowing on you in heavy, heavy, heavy flow of pressure and heavy flow of ground and pound. And everything is very synchronized in her movements. Everything is just really put together in her ground game. Her stand-up is not the best. 
and that's mm-hmm. putting it yeah, that's putting it mildly. And she her her leaning on her chin is it's gonna bite her because you can't do that. You cannot do that against Cyborg. You have to be. And another big thing about Avengers game is she doesn't respect her or she doesn't respect her opponent. Not in a disrespectful way. Not that she doesn't. You know, she. I'm just saying she has no fear. So she's gonna come in there with no fear. You have to fear Cyborg, in my opinion. You have to fear. You have to account for every. You have to count for every bit of P's and Q's. You have to keep your distance, and you have to play the smartest game plan you can to win. And stylistically, Avenger, as far as recent history goes, she's a bully, and she's a bully in there against against fighters. And she's big for 135, as you know. She's moving up for this class. She's not going to have a size advantage against Cyborg. The stand-up is going to be extremely wide, and if the fight does get into the later rounds, I could see Avenger pulling out a submission, or I could see Avenger just gritting her way to a victory by like a TKO in the fourth or fifth round. But this thing ain't getting past the second, in my opinion. I think Cyborg's just Muay Thai is too good. I think when they get into a clinch up against the cage, Avenger's going to be surprised how damn strong this woman is. I think the knees are going to be ridiculous. I think the power is going to be something that she's never seen at 135 and will never see again. Cyborg's going to win by round two knockout, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree with you here. I think that yeah, it, this is a little bit of a tougher matchup for Cyborg than I think Megan Anderson would have because Megan Anderson she's a good striker and she has power, but she doesn't have Cyborg power. You know, she doesn't have the power where she's going to go out there and just wreck you in less than a minute. You know, um, and I think that she would have tried to strike with Cyborg, and you just you can't do that against Chris Cyborg. No one in her division can match that kind of power. Now, Evanger, being a grappler, she's not going to look to strike with Cyborg. She's going to look to use her wrestling and her jiu-jitsu, try to get the fight to the ground, use her ground and pound to open her up and try to expose some submission opportunities. And Evanger, she has a lot of championship experience. She's gone 25 minutes before. She's gone to the later rounds and still gotten finishes. You know, Invicta has prepared her really well for the fight, I think. But, it, I mean, it's like we keep saying, when whenever someone is fighting Chris Cyborg, it's really difficult not to pick Chris Cyborg, you know? Because everyone knows who she is. Everyone knows what she's going to try and do. And no one's been able to stop her. You know, she goes out there, she hits, she hits her opponents, and they just they they break. You know, no one no one has been able to to survive against her. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll go the same way. Avenger might get a couple of maybe like a takedown early on, but I mean, Cyborg, she's she's a brown belt in jujitsu. I mean, she's no slouch on the ground either. And so I think that she can definitely survive if Evanger gets on top of her. Um, and I think that her defense will be good enough to not allow Evanger to take over. And that's if Evanger can even get it to the ground because every second she's on the feet, she's going to be in trouble. Like we said, her striking isn't great, especially her striking defense. That's a bad trait to have in this fight. Yeah, I think that even if Evanger tries to use her grappling, tries to have a little bit of success there, eventually... Cyborg is going to be able to keep the fight on the feet, get back to her feet, 
and just land those power punches that she's known for and really try to turn it into a brawl. I see it going the same way. I think that Cyborg will just have her way here. I think that Cyborg will win the fight by second-round TKO. All right, so with that, we will move on to our second title fight of the evening. We have a really, really fantastic matchup for the welterweight belt. Really looking forward to this fight. Tyron Woodley will be defending the belt against Damian Maya. Damian Maya finally, finally getting his shot at the welterweight strap. Tyron Woodley, uh, we talked a little bit about him earlier in the Robbie Lawler fight. Uh, Woodley has big power. He has high-level wrestling, and he's defended the belt on a couple of times, technically, because he had the draw against Stephen Thompson, and then he had the majority decision over Thompson in the rematch back at UFC 209. Um, Now, Woodley, he has finishing ability. He has really good grappling, but the biggest issue with him is that he can just be so incredibly inactive in his fights. You you know what I mean, Matt? It's like sometimes he goes out there and he'll just, he'll completely wreck his opponents. You know, he'll go out there and he'll he'll fight like he did against Josh Koscheck or how he did against Dun Young Kim or Robbie Lawler. He'll go out there and he'll just murk guys. But then he'll fight like he did against, uh, you know, uh, uh, Calvin Gastelum or Jake Shields or in his last fight with Stephen Thompson where he just cannot pull the trigger. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know why this consistency of him just backing up to the, you know, into the octagon, backing up to the cage and just being, it's like he stalls himself, which I, I can kind of understand in certain fights, but I don't, like, against Stephen Thompson, but the just consistent, I mean, just neutralization is, it's insane. I don't, I've, you know, I haven't seen anything like it, and it's just something he does. I don't know why, but, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's just something that's made him really unreliable, and a lot of people thought that he didn't deserve the win over over Thompson in his last fight just because he mounted very little offense. I mean, he got the knockdown late in the fight, but, you know, that like, like that was it, and he just doesn't seem to... It, it, it just it makes him very unreliable because you don't know which Tyron Woodley you're going to get. Are you going to get the guy who went out there and knocked out Robbie Lawler in the first round? Are you going to get someone who's going to hesitate to put any kind of pressure forward for the full 25 minutes? It's it's very it's very inconsistent and it's very it, it keeps you very uncertain. And he's facing Damian Maya, and Damian Maya. Has, he's been with the UFC for, I mean, I, I can't even remember how many years. I mean, he fought Anderson Silva for the middleweight title uh, years ago. And since his move to welterweight, he's just looked fantastic. He has some of the, he has wins over some of the biggest uh, names in the division. I mean, he beat Neil Magny. He beat Gunnar Nelson, just completely dominated him. Beat Matt Brown submitted Carlos Condit early and is coming off of a win over Jorge Masvidal. I mean, no one deserves a shot at the belt more than Damian Maya, and he's finally getting it. Maya is one of the best grapplers to ever compete in the UFC. You know, like his Brazilian jiu-jitsu is just world-class. He's one of the best in the world. We saw that in, you know, it shows it in all of his fights, but like in the Gunnar Nelson fight, um, like one of Joe Rogan's quotes during that fight was, 
I mean, when Maya was completely dominating him, he said, this is the difference between an elite grappler and one of the best in the world. And Gunnar Nelson has high level of jiu-jitsu, and it just shows how good Damian Maya is. He's relentless with his takedown attempts, and he, he's really good at just stringing his takedowns together up against the fence, getting his opponents down, smothering them, and just going for submissions. It's just a relentless style, and not many guys have been able to handle it. It's, it's just it's really difficult to, to deal with. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this will be a really interesting fight. But I'm actually leaning towards Damian Maya for for my prediction here. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts though? The biggest X factor is that in you know Tyron Woodley's past fights, the one against Robbie Lawler, the one against Stephen Thompson, you know both fights against Stephen Thompson, is the power Tyron Woodley has and the wrestling game Tyron Woodley has. Stylistically, this is a horrible matchup for Damian Maya. If it was Stephen Thompson who has the belt, I would go with Maya. Common denominator in Maya's past wins were that he was facing uh, other opponents whose wrestling pedigree was not enough to keep up with Maya's grappling ability. So Carlos Condit, notorious for being taken down very easily. Um, Matt Brown, notorious for being taken down. Now, the Jorge Masvidal fight is a little different on the count of Jorge Masvidal's defensive wrestling is really well-versed, but... Jorge Masvidal's wrestling compared to Tyron Woodley's wrestling, we're talking about apples to oranges. Tyron Woodley is the best wrestler that Damian Maia will have faced in welterweight and at the welterweight division. And Damian Maia is able to bully a lot of these welterweights coming down from middleweight. He will not be able to do that against Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley is too powerful, too just behemothly strong. And the wrestling game is just going to be the biggest difference and what's going to happen if Tyron Woodley negates the takedown that uh, Damian Maia is going to go for because there is no surprises in Damian Maia's game is Tyron Woodley's ability to knock people out. I think Damian Maia will do the things he do, you know, does well. I think he's going to go in there, try to game against the fence, which Tyron Woodley may willingly go against the fence. And I think he's going to shoot in for a takedown, but I think right as soon as he shoots in, Tyron Woodley is going to laser him and hit him with a clean shot. If not prior to that, be you know defensively wrestling and then getting confident enough to where Damian Maia realizes he can't get this guy down. And I think after he realizes that, then Tyron Woodley opens up and knocks him out. I have Tyron Woodley winning by knockout in the first round, honestly. First round. All right, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum here. I... I think that Maya can get the job done. I think that a big thing for me, even though I do agree, Woodley is the best wrestler he's faced. Uh, Maya, he has faced good wrestlers in the past. I mean, he fought uh, Ryan LaFleur, uh, John Fitch, Rick Story. Uh, I would say pretty good wrestlers, too, but n- n- not quite at the caliber of, of Woodley. Um, one thing that does concern me, speaking of the Ryan LaFleur fight, Maya has had cardio issues. In the past, I mean, like the fifth round of the, of the LaFleur fight was, was not pretty at all. I mean, I think that Maya exerted too much energy throughout the, the first four rounds, and he was just really exhausted by the fifth. And then the Rory McDonald fight put up a tremendous pace in the first and then cast in the second and third. 
and lost the decision. So that is something that I'm keeping an eye on, but it looks like he has been able to pace himself better uh, throughout his fights as of late. Um, a big thing that concerns me with Woodley is just his in, his inactivity. You know, I think that um, for something like you know, it, like his fight with uh, with with Jake Shields, uh, Shields is kind of similar to Maya. He was able to to get Woodley in the clinch, and he just he didn't let go. You know, he pressured him against the fence. He didn't give him a lot of space to work, not much to land with his power shots. And he was able to make it a very close fight. I think the decision could have gone either way, but Shields wound up getting the better of him in there. And I think that Maya can implement a similar game plan to that because Maya, he gets you to the clinch. He'll try a takedown. If he can't get the takedown, he'll try another. And he just he he puts everything together and he does everything that he can to get his fights to the ground. And once they go to the ground, you're just you're in a world of danger. You know, he's I mean, my he's the backpack. You know, once he gets on your back and he gets his his uh, his body triangle over you, there's just not much you can really do to escape. Now, that does play into it where because Woodley's wrestling is so good, that could lead to Maya not being able to get the takedowns and gassing himself out and then just not having the energy. But I think that if he can pressure Woodley against the fence early on because Woodley carries around a lot of muscle too and we've seen him slow down a bit on top of the, the inactivity, then I think Maya can take it over. I think that if Maya can conserve himself early on, not just desperately work for the takedown, work in the clinch, don't try to force anything, and really take a lot out of Tyron's muscles and take a lot out of his power, that's where I think that's where I think Maya can have success. I think that Maya can go out there work his clinch game, really try to tire Woodley out, make him use that strength early on, tire his muscles out, and then I think Maya can begin to start having success with, success with more takedowns and either get a late finish, either get a, a choke late in the fight, probably like fourth or fifth round, or just win on the scorecards due to winning rounds three through five. It's going to be interesting. It's just, I mean, it's going to be whoever implements their game plan Various mm-hmm. ability. It's, I mean, it's it's polar opposites between Tyron Woodley, what he wants to do, and what Damian Maya wants to do. I mean, Tyron Woodley, I think he just has more options. He can wrestle. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he yeah, can. Yeah. He's he's an elite wrestler, so he can be on the ground with Damian Maya and feel safe as long as he is on top. Because I mean, I wouldn't play that game if I was Tyron Woodley because there's such a big power juncture in the uh, when they're on the feet, but he can do it if he needs to is I think the difference. So it's going to be an interesting fight. I'm really, I'm really excited, but yeah, I got, I got Woodley by knockout. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but we'll see. Yeah, no, no, no it, it's, I can definitely see that happening as well. I, I'm personally picking Maya by decision, but yeah, it, it's a close, interesting fight. Nonetheless. All right. So that was the co-main event. We are moving on to the highly anticipated main event between Daniel Cormier and John Jones, the rematch between the two men. I mean, this, this matchup has been hyped for so long. You know, they were, they were supposed to fight two times in the past, but just things have gotten in the way. Uh, Cormier was injured one time, which led to Jones fighting OSP for the interim title. And then they were supposed to fight at EOC 200. Jones failed his drug test leading up to that, so there's just, yeah, there's, a lot of stuff has gotten in the way, but hopefully 
we'll finally see it at UFC 214. And I hope we do because it's just, it's a really interesting fight for a few different X factors. Um, I'll, I'll jump into just a, a couple of them, I think. So Cormier, you know what you're getting with him. He's an Olympic-caliber wrestler. He embraces the grind. He takes you down, and he just imposes his will, beats you up with ground and pound, looks to walk in submissions, controls you on the ground. That's that's what he does. You know what to expect from him. He has gained a good amount of more championship experience since he last fought Jones with his fights with Anthony Johnson, and then especially that five-round fight against Alexander Gustafson. I think that that experience will, will really help him here. Um, but on top of that, while he has he's looked good lately, he's 38 years old. He's getting up there, you know, in, in fighting age. You know, once you get close to 40, you have to imagine that you, you can't really be fighting for a living much longer. And this is likely Cormier's last fight. I you you have to imagine that because win or lose, like I I don't know where he goes from here. You, you know what I mean? I, I like I don't if he if he beats John Jones, great. I mean that that'll end his career. If he loses to John Jones, what does he do next? You know who who is he gonna fight next? Should he even continue fighting? It, you know it's. Yeah, it's just it's just a big factor. Do you, do you agree with that though? Could you see Cormier competing again after after this fight? The only thing I could see him doing if he is if he wins it and does a trilogy. But no, besides that, I don't see it happening. The only way is if he beats John Jones and wants the trilogy match. I wouldn't be surprised if he somehow wins, you know, beats John Jones and just rides off into the sunset. I agree with you. I think yeah. this will be his last fight though. Yeah, I thought if, especially if he wins, you know, just uh, retire, go out on a high note, redeem your only loss against your rival, and then you know, go to your, your to your commentating job with the UFC. You know, there's there's really no reason for him to continue unless this fight were to end in some kind of controversy, like a draw or a no contest or a disqualification or whatever, and there would have to be a rematch. That would be the only thing that I could see happening. Uh, yeah, I, I just I I doubt we're gonna see Cormier compete after this fight um now john jones a few things to look at here so jones of course will have a big size advantage he has that over most of his opponents he has it especially over cormier who while jones is tall and lanky uh, cormier is short and stocky just two different body types and that really helped jones in their first fight now jones he has not fought very much over the last couple of years you know he fought after uh you know, after beating uh, Cormier back in 2015, he fought once in 2016 against OSP for the interim strap. But he really did not look good in that fight, you know. I mean, he didn't – he won every round. He did his thing. He beat OSP, but he just – he did not look like how most people were expecting him to be. You know, people thought that he was going to go out there and just run right through Evan St. Pru and finish him uh, at, at some point, you know, like early to midway in the fight. But he didn't, you know. He looked hesitant. He looked uh, very weary to engage. And it just it didn't look like the John Jones that we were expecting. Now, a lot of people were attributing that to his ring rust because it had he was out of commission for a while because Daniel Cormier came in and, and took the actual belt. But the thing is, it's been, you know, it's been over a year since... Uh, since that fight. So if there is ring rust in that fight, 
there could very well be ring rust in this fight, and that could definitely affect him against Cormier, who's much more dangerous than Ovin St. Preux, and it's going to be a much more emotional fight. So, yeah, there, there's just, there are a lot of question marks, I think, around Jones and Cormier leading up to this, just aside from how they match up stylistically. Yeah, I agree. The, you know, confusion about John Jones, and not necessarily confusion, the big take on John Jones is where does he go? You know, who, who's showing up? Is it the guy who shows up, you know, show up, showed up against the first, in the first DC fight? The guy who showed up against, you know, Rashad, Machida, Rampage, Gustafson, the just, the, the excellent, the greatest fighter of all time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or the guy who fought Ovin Pru. Which, the OSP fight, I don't think it was as bad as people let it out to be. I think he looked fine. I think it's okay. about as good as a performance as he could coming back from the layoff he came back from. I mean, he there was there was no point in the fight where he was in danger. He controlled the entire yeah. fight. He mm-hmm. outstruck. I mean, he pitched a shutout against OSP, who's a tricky fighter to come in you know, on short notice and fight. Because OSP, originally, that was supposed to be DC and John. DC mm-hmm. got injured, so OSP had to come in on three weeks notice. John doesn't like fighting people on short notice. He proved that when he <laughs> completely said, I don't want to fight Chael Sonnen. And Chael yeah. Sonnen's way less dangerous than Ovin St. Preux. So the fact yeah. that the fact that he looked not lackadaisical, but the fact that he looked like he couldn't get his motor going after a long layoff against an opponent he hasn't really trained for, and against a talented guy. OSP's a top 10 fighter for a reason. So and he's very awkward and he's very confusing to fight. OSP is he's he's hard to get a beat on with his movements because OSP also like it's hard to figure out what OSP is doing because I don't think OSP really knows what he's doing himself. He's just so talented it just works. So I I'm erring on the side of the argument of giving John Jones the benefit of the doubt as far as skill wise goes. Now, Daniel Cormier on the opposite side of the spectrum. Daniel Cormier's last best performance was against um, Alexander Gustafson. That fight was great. I love the fight. Fight of the year. His uh, performance in the first Rumble fight was great, too. He did everything he needed to do. Now, in the um, Anderson Silva fight at UFC 200, John Jones likes to say, you know, the fight that Hillman or DC likes to say that the fight John Jones had with Ovin St. Preux, DC would rather been there because he could beat that John Jones. Yeah. At UFC 200, he need, DC needs to be thankful that John Jones couldn't compete because if John Jones would have been there against that DC that night, that could have been, I mean, a shutout unlike the first one, like even because I don't think he would, I don't think DC looked great in that fight. Yes, it's Anderson Silva. Yes, it's the greatest of all time. Yes, Anderson Silva is still a super dangerous striker. And yes, DC did control the fight and won it handily. But the fact that Anderson Silva hurt DC, it's not like DC just ravished Anderson Silva. It was competitive. It was more competitive than I thought it would be. And Anderson Silva showed up on 24 hours notice. Mm-hmm. Now, his next fight against Rumble Johnson, the second fight, Rumble did not want to be in there. If Rumble wanted to be in there, Rumble could have won that fight easily. DC didn't even make weight. He used the towel trick, which it's pretty blatant if you go back and watch the video that he's using the towel to hover above to 
you know, hold off some weight. I mean, you can go in your own scale right now and just put your left hand on the wall and you will drop two to three pounds. Mm -hmm. So the fact that, you know, accumulating all that, and he didn't look good in that fight. He did not look as good as he did in the Gustafson fight two fights prior. He, Johnson let him win. Like, not let him win. I think Johnson has his own demons in his mind. He, you know, he, I think DC broke him the first time, so Johnson just wilted the second time. But if, I don't want to say, like, if Johnson wanted to win, he could win, because that's ridiculous, you know. I just think I think subconsciously Johnson beat himself, not DC. So yeah, coming into the second fight between Jones and DC, we don't know what Jones. You know, we don't know what what Jones is going to look like, but I got a pretty good idea. It's going to be John Jones in there, and it's going to be a John Jones who's trained for DC, and it's going to be a John Jones who knows he straight up owned DC in their first fight. I mean, I had DC win in one round. The rest, John Jones won pretty handily, took DC down, roughed him up, consistently controlled the pace of the fight. Just everywhere the fight went, John Jones was in control. And DC looks like he's on the decline, like me and you were talking about. This could be his last fight. I just yeah. don't see what DC could do to win. I just don't, I don't see how he could beat John Jones. And on the other side of that, John Jones could submit him. He's been saying how much mm -hmm. he's fell in love with grappling. Now I know that's saying, gra you know, grappling against DC, the best wrestler to ever compete in the UFC. But, and you're like, that's DC you're talking about. But I'm also talking about John Jones, the best fighter to ever walk this earth, in my opinion. So I think John Jones is going to get in there and just not dominate, but win a very handily, very similar to the first fight decision, if not a little more in John Jones' favor, like um, 49-46, 50-45, John Jones, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I'm picking Jones. Yeah, yeah. The biggest thing is, even with these X-Factors, John Jones is just always going to be a difficult matchup for Daniel Cormier. The size difference between them is just so difficult for Cormier to, to handle because Cormier thrives in the clinch. But he's facing a guy who's so much bigger, it's difficult to to control him in the clinch. Cormier's striking has improved over the years, and he uses that to set up his takedowns. Well, Jones's reach keeps him at too far of a distance for him to really shoot and comfortably get a takedown. So it's too difficult. Uh, you know, on the feet, Jones is the much more diverse striker with his kicks and his elbows. Uh, you know, that long reach, like we talked about, his jab is always really good. And then we already established in the first fight, John Jones can take down Cormier. Cormier can take him down as well, but Jones can take down DC if he wants to. And so even if there is ring rust, I think that just how they match up style-wise, you, you, you have to go with Jones, you know? Um, John might have some ring rust possibly like we saw in his last fight. So Cormier might have success in like the first round. He might get a couple of takedowns and be control of the clinch work. But after that, I think Jones will start to pick up the momentum and win rounds two through five. If he, if he does, he, he might even win the first round as well, just because I think it's going to be a lot of the same thing. 
people were saying that if DC was going to win that first fight, he was going to get him in the clinch, take him down, and keep him there. He couldn't do that the first time. And that's really his main way of winning, you know. I, he's not, I don't see him going out there and one-punch KOing John Jones. He's not going to go out there and, and outstrike him for five rounds. And so the fact that he couldn't do that in the first fight, and I haven't seen anything new from him in his last fights to make me think that he could do that this time, it's, it's just difficult to pick DC. The only weary factor is that, like, if, like, all this stuff has really taken a toll on John Jones and he's just not the same fighter that we saw before, then, okay, I could see DC beating him. But, I mean, c- counting on the likely fact that Jones will show up in his usual fashion, then it's it's hard to, to pick against him. So I see it going the same way. I think that Jones very well could get a late finish. You know, maybe, like, rounds three through five, he might get one, maybe, maybe like rounds three or four, he might lock something on, like lock in a submission or maybe, maybe even get a TKO with ground and pound. But either way, I see him, I see it being a competitive fight like it, like it was before, but Jones will, will definitely be the victor at the end. He will be the clear winner at, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I'm going with John Jones via unanimous decision. I mean, if everything lines up right like we want it to, we could be looking at the fight of the century between John Jones and Volcan Uzdemir coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. The the, the yeah. winner will fight either Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, and Bellator. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess honestly. All right, so I think that about does it for the UFC 214 predictions. Uh, like we said, it's a great card. Uh, I had a lot of fun breaking this down. Uh, yeah, Matt, I hope you had a good time, too. Uh, where can people reach you at? Uh, people can get a hold of me at Matt Cole Webb at Twitter. So on Twitter, it's at M-A-T-T-C-O-L-E-W-E-B-B. And also, like I mentioned prior, this weekend, UFC on Fox 20, or I don't know what number it is, but Weidman versus Gaslam. I'm taking over Funky Monkey's Twitter handle, and it's going to be great. So follow Funky Monkey. Thank you. All right. Awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. And with that, uh, just make sure, as always, to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Funky Monkey MMA. You can follow me on Twitter at Kane E. Miller. And we'll see you guys next time with another Predictions podcast. Thanks for listening. Legends of the Cage, proud sponsor of Funky Monkey MMA Radio, helping legends of yesterday and tomorrow. You can find them on Twitter at TrueMMAHOF or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Legends of the Cage or go to the website, LegendsOfTheCage.com. That's Legends of the Cage together with Funky Monkey MMA Radio. You can listen to Funky Monkey MMA Radio on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, Cast Roller, the TuneIn Radio app, MMAFutures.com, LoveMMA.com, MMAWreckage.com, and FightBookMMA.com. For the freshest news and notes on all things MMA, get over to FunkyMonkeyMMA.com. Interested in sponsoring the show? Then send an email to FunkyMonkeyMMA at gmail.com. You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA.